Hey there, pals. Thanks for finding the What Had Happened Was podcast. It's me, Amelia Robinson from Dayton.com, and I have a super fun show with a super fun lady. I sat down for a chat with my buddy and journalistic shero, Laura Bischoff. Laura has been covering Ohio politics for the Dayton Daily News at the State House since 2001. Her reporting has led to federal investigations, helped shine light on all kind of corruption, and changed laws. Yeah, she changed some laws. In fact, Laura's reporting on children as young as 14 getting married in Ohio is credited with sparking the recent change in state law. She's a bad mama jama. Laura demonstrates the power of the press daily and amuses the heck out of me. We talk about some of her crazier stories and how and why she loves covering politics despite the crazy world we live in. Good times. The What It Happened Was podcast is brought to you by our good friends over at Cox Digital Marketing. Let this trusted name in advertising find solutions for your digital needs. Rate the What It Happened Was podcast and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and wherever else you find your favorite shows. Now, here's my chat with the incredible Laura Bischoff. You said there, Laura, you want to start it here? You want to get into it? You want to enjoy ourselves? Absolutamente. I know you got lots and lots and lots of things to do. I know. I always have lots and lots and lots of things to do. You're in the ground running constantly. Well, I'm like a one-woman show over there in the Columbus Bureau. What is your day like typically? You know, one of the things I like about my job is that it's not, there's no typical day. Sometimes I'll just be in my office working, plowing through documents and making phone calls and writing stories and drinking hot coffee. And then other What's your days, brand of hot coffee? That oh, you, you know, there's a good uh, independent coffee shop called Brioso. Okay. At the corner of High and Gay in downtown Columbus. It's pretty tasty. So anyway, uh, some days I'll just be kind of holed up in my office. And then other days I'll be over at the state house and like bouncing around to press conferences. Sometimes I'll be on the road visiting various parts of Ohio. You've won many a praise for this. Do you think of yourself as the best state house reporter in the state because i do oh, how does that make you feel inside when i say that oh, so warm and fuzzy um <laughs> I don't, you know i don't know i mean th- there's a lot of competition in the state house press corps i have colleagues who have been around as long or longer than i have and they've broken lots of good stories i think of like julie carr smythe of the ap and andrew welsh huggins of the ap jim siegel of columbus dispatch i went um, to i was at mansfield with jim yeah, he's a mm-hmm. he's a really great reporter. He focuses on legislative matters, and so we're often going head-to-head on a variety of issues. Now, what would you say have been your best stories or the ones that you particularly like? What's in your clip file? That you, does anybody have a clip file anymore? Uh, I think they do. No, well, like, okay, so my all-time favorite political story has to be Amer Ahmed. He was the uh, deputy treasurer of Ohio starting under Rich Cordray when Cordray was the treasurer. And then Cordray got elected attorney general to replace Mark Dan, who had resigned. That's another fun story. And then Kevin Boyce was appointed by Strickland to be the the new treasurer. And I think Boyce was, he kept Amerimed on, and he had really strong credentials. I mean, he had a Columbia undergrad and a Harvard MBA, and he'd worked in the financial markets, and he was very charming. So anyway, he perpetrated the largest kickback and bribery scheme in the history of the state treasury. He started steering work to his high school friend, this guy named Doug Hampton from Canton, Ohio. And Hampton made like $3.2 million on those trades. And he kicked back $520,000, $525,000 to Amer Ahmad via a couple of different conduits. We wrote a story, uh, 
we wrote a story, I think in May of 2010, that said, hey, isn't this interesting? This guy named Noor Alu, who's an immigration attorney from Columbus, Ohio, he got hired as a lobbyist for this giant bank, State Street Bank in Boston. And he doesn't have any lobbying experience or banking experience, but he was connected to Amerimed. Like they followed each other on social media. Noor Alu went to law school with Ahmad's wife. They, anyway, it was a lot of connections. And so we wrote a story on that. And the FBI's public corruption squad, you know, they read the paper. And they read that and they're like, oh, that's very interesting. They opened up an investigation to try and figure out how did the bank hire this immigration attorney as its lobbyist. And while they were looking at that, then they found this kickback scheme. And they convicted all four guys on it. Doug Hampton, Amerimad, Noor Alu, and then this other guy who ran a lawn business who was connected. And in the meantime, Kevin Boyce lost election to, to Josh Mandel. And he went to be the comptroller for the city of Chicago under the Rahm Emanuel administration, getting clear to him that he's going to face federal charges. And so he resigned. And then the Emanuel administration, I think, wrote a press release about, you know, hey, we're really thankful for your service, et cetera. And then then he gets charged with like a ton of felonies. Oh, God. Yeah. And then he didn't want to plead guilty. Finally, he, he pled guilty. And he goes back to Chicago be with his family, and they didn't put any kind of like Lindsay Lohan bracelet on uh-huh. him or anything like that. When it comes time to like check in for sentencing, well, he bolted. He like took a flight from Chicago Midway to San Diego, took a taxi to the Tijuana border, and then like marched his way into Mexico with a suitcase full of cash. And he kept a journal, my journey to freedom for the whole the whole thing. <laughs> I know. And I'm like, you cannot make this up. And so then he flies into Mexico City and he, he presents some false ID and he says, you know, I lost my passport. I'm Pakistani, blah, blah, blah. I need a new passport. Pakistani embassy in Mexico is like, mm, this is going to take a while. So then he <laughs> goes out, according to his journal, he, then he went to his taxi driver, Eduardo, and said, hey, can you hook me up with the passport? Eduardo's like, yeah, sure. He's like, see, sí, right? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So then he flies into Lahore, Pakistan. And by now the feds are like, oh my God, we lost this guy. And they're putting out the red letter notices through Interpol and, you know, they're trying to find him and all this stuff. And so Lahore, they they capture him and they're like, oh, yeah, this document doesn't look legit, like this passport. We're going to hang on to you. And by the way, let's, we want all your cash. Because why do you have that much cash? Because why do you have (laughs) $176,000 in euros and dollars? Yeah. So anyway, so he ends up getting detained and the Americans are like, hey, give him back. And Pakistanis are like, no, you have to go through our extradition treaty. And the Americans are like, but, but, but. But we want them. But we want them. And also, like, that extradition treaty, it's, like, super old. It was before Pakistan even became a country. They're like, yeah, too bad. And and it took, you know, the previous extradition took, like, 11 years or something like that. So the judge waited a year, and he finally sentenced um, Amr to, like, the max of 15 years while he was still over in Pakistan. And then at some point, I think, like, September of 2016, Amr's like, he's losing weight. He's sleeping on the ground in the Pakistani prison. Yeah, that cannot he's be a ha- good prison to be he's, in. He's, he's thinking, this is not working out for me. So he gave up his objections, and they went and hauled him back from Pakistan. And now he's in a prison in San Diego, federal prison. I bet it's nicer than sleeping on the ground. Probably, yeah. Yeah, federal yeah. prisons are the ones that, way to go, I, I hear. Better than Another. the Pakistani jails. You know, that shows the power of the press. You know, right. like with the fact that we were able to write a story and it got some attention and, it, uh, you know, they started digging and found stuff. They say every journalist has a book. Is that the one you're going to write a book about? Which one are you going to write a book about? Well, I mean, I think that case would be a good one to write a book about, but I would need those guys to cooperate. Because right. the, the unanswered question is, why would Amerimed 
throw it all away. I mean, he has, his wife divorced him and married somebody else. But at the time, you know, he had an Ivy League education. He had a great position. He's, he had a beautiful wife and three gorgeous children. And he put all of that at risk in this power grab to do this big kickback scheme. You kinda, I bet you wonder that a lot with the stories you write because you, you deal with smart people who think they're going to get over and they're not. <laughs> they're not smarter than the government. You know what I mean? Like, Well, I think there's probably a bunch that have gotten away with stuff. Get away with it. Nobody, yeah. 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 But there's a long, kind of a long list of, of people who didn't get away with it. You ever feel bad for them? Oh, yeah, absolutely. These are human beings with flaws and I wouldn't wish that on anybody. For whatever reason, they did that poor decision that ended up costing them their whole lives, basically. Yeah, and I mean, like right now, there's this investigation going on uh, with the former speaker of the Ohio House, Cliff Rosenberger from Uh Clarksville. And, you know, that was a spectacular step down. In early April, I I got a tip at like 10 o'clock in the morning. Somebody called me and says, hey, I heard that, that the speaker hired a criminal defense attorney that he's under FBI investigation for some trip to Europe uh, having to do with payday lenders. And I'm thinking, okay, that's really specific. There must be something to this. And I immediately started working on the story. I've had a really good relationship with Cliff Rosenberger, and I texted him my questions, and he called me back and did an on-the-record statement. And he said, yeah, I I hired David Axelrod because I heard the bureaus asking questions. Five days later, he announced his resignation. What is it always with payday lendings? It seems like a payday lending is always involved in some aspect, <laughs> like they're always a payday lender. Yeah, like 10 years ago, you know, Ohio passed payday lending reform uh-huh. and then the payday lenders kind of found ways to issue high, high cost loans through other sections of the law. Back then, there was a state representative from Columbus, a Democrat named Carlton Weddington. And there was some sort of like a consumer advocacy group that wanted to meet with him about payday lending reforms. And he said, well, I'll meet with you, but you got to make a donation to the Legislative Black Caucus Fund first. And this organization is like, that doesn't sound right. The Jim Siegel wrote a story about it, and the FBI got interested, and they did a sting operation, and they found that Weddington, he was willing to take cash payments, fancy trips to places like the Dominican Republic and Napa Valley, and was ready to introduce legislation to benefit these fake clients that the FBI had set up. And so he, Weddington, went to prison for bribery. And while they were investigating that one, they found a donation recorded by the payday lenders to um, Clayton Lucky, a Democrat from from Dayton. Yeah, I was going to ask you about him. Yeah, and so, but it wasn't recorded by by Clayton Lucky. They're kind of like, oh, well, that's interesting. So they kind of start pulling string on that, and they find out that Clayton Lucky had basically, from the get-go, set up his campaign account and named a treasurer, never told the guy he was the treasurer, and he basically handled all of his money through his campaign account. And he ended up pleading guilty to money laundering, election falsification, and theft. The FBI believes he had diverted $130,000 from his campaign account for personal use, for stuff like cash withdrawals at casinos, buying jewelry, mm-hmm. buying stuff at Babies R Us. And, um, Just stupid, crazy stuff. Like, yeah. why would you, I mean, yeah. Yeah, he went to prison for... He just got out not too long ago. Yeah, he did. You see him around town nowadays. Yeah. He's back in in action, Clayton is. Yeah, what's he doing? I just see him around to different events and stuff. He's out. He's out and about, so doing his life, I guess. 
you get to do the politics stuff, which is you got to be kind of a nerd to want to do this little bit of political junkie. Yeah, which I say I, in the I, I best think it's, way. It's sort of like covering sports though, because mm-hmm. there's different teams and there's like star players, and there are people who follow it very, very closely. And then there's people who just sort of tune in at the playoffs. Right. Um, so it's very similar. You can't root for either team. You just have to. You're a referee. Um, yeah, I'm the observer. An observer. Know. Okay. So like what? Like a spectator? And it's... Yeah. 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 I mean, not I'm... a fan. No, not necessarily. No. Mm. Are you worried, though, that people seem to be so polarized when it comes to politics? It's interesting you say that. I went to um, a Donald Trump rally in the uh, 12th Congressional District. Typically, what you want to do is like go check out what kind of protests there are at any rally before you go through security and get kind of tucked away inside the bubble. I went to the to the front lines there and people were just like yelling insults at each other. Some of the, the people who are attending the rally, they're walking along this sidewalk and there's they're kind of like walking through this gauntlet in which people are, you know, yelling stuff like, you're an idiot, and uh, there's a blue wave coming, you better learn how to swim, and oh, people wow. are yelling other stuff back. And I just thought, this is not helpful at all on either side. So I find that disheartening, I'd say. So the chants aren't even that great anymore. The chants. <laughs> so the insults aren't that, not that great. Yeah, yeah really great. Not, not that inventive. And there were, some, uh, there were some insults that I can't repeat on it's oh you can but we probably shouldn't if you want to keep that job yeah Yeah, exactly (laughs) exactly why do you think people become politicians because you know obviously they probably maybe get demonized i don't know who gets more demonized us or them i don't know it's a it's a a toss-up it's like us sharks lawyers uh centipedes politicians (laughs) and hairy spiders (laughs) truck lords lords. (laughs) so why do you think people become politicians? A lot of people start out in local government. They want to help their neighborhood or their school board or what have you. And they, I think there is a thread of politicians who start out because they want to be president of the United States. They're like, go get them, you know, start here, you know, build this whole path forward of I'm going to start at the city council or right. the school board. And then I'm going to go to the legislature and then I'm going to get elected to the statewide ticket. And then I'm going to get whatever they have, like their whole life planned out in front of them. Yeah, like 11 years old, probably they start thinking right. about this. Yeah. But I think most people who get into politics start out kind of thinking, you know, they start local. It is incredibly unusual for somebody to like win the presidency with having never been even elected dog catcher. Right. Know? I mean, that was pretty unusual. Would you ever want to do it? Would you ever want to go on the other side? Because you uh, care about stuff. You care about stuff. I know you care about stuff. Taking a quick pause for the cause. And the cause I'm pausing for is to tell you that you can help keep this thing called democracy going. One of the ways is by being an informed citizen. Lucky for all of us, the Dayton Daily News provides complete, in-depth, and dependable coverage of this community. Laura is among a whole team of talented and passionate reporters that love informing the community on issues that matter. We are part of this community and care about this community. May I suggest that you subscribe to the What Had Happened Was podcast and rate us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and wherever else you find your favorite shows. This is a way to help people find the show and keep it going. Now back to my chat with Dayton Daily News State House reporter extraordinaire, Laura Bischoff, who's going to tell us if she would ever consider running for office. Yeah, but I, there, I know I, it seems like a hmm, difficult path these days. Yeah, it sounds, it seems horrible, but you want people who care to do it. So how do you get people to do it if it's horrible? That's the catch-22 of the whole thing. It is, and it's bad because having the horrible conditions is going to drive good people away from getting started in the first place. I don't think it's horrible, though, in general, at your local level. Right. 
So you can start there. And I think, but even you know, at the local level, I've seen people yell at like Beaver Creek City Councilwoman or like a some, school board president or something. It's like, okay, <laughs> yeah. school board. Well, and the other thing is like sometimes people think that like, well, like they'll get into local government, they'll be on like the local planning commission or something like that, and they get all drunk with power, right? Because they like, can veto the shade of beige that their neighbor wants to paint their house. No, over. like, and I, I'm part of our neighborhood board, and there's been some little fights about stuff that I'm like, this is a neighborhood board. Yeah, everybody <laughs> needs to just sort of chillax. The picnic is going to be okay. Like, yeah, we'll, we'll have potato salad. Yep, <laughs> be okay. It'll be good. It'll be good. Yeah. Somebody will bring the pie exactly let's say you were to run for office what would you want to be oh president sure. president for sure you could just yeah. go up there and just go to 1600 pennsylvania, pennsylvania avenue. avenue yeah and just put your curtains up and uh start painting the rooms start start yeah running the running the show no i i would never do it ever in a thousand no. years as far as the journalism part are you worried though that we can't get it back together as far as civility when it comes to politics Oh, I don't know. Obviously, you've done this for a long time. You, have you ever seen anything like this? What, were there, everybody's constantly at their throats? Everybody, you can't say anything. Like, I've been attacked, and I'm not even saying anything sometimes. You know what I mean? I'm just having random thoughts that come out of my head. People sometimes think, I mean, have meaning behind them when they actually don't. It's to the point almost where you can't say anything. Yeah, I think people are kind of, like, particularly on Twitter, people are really ready to, like, jump all over you if you say something, and it's like, and maybe just something completely mild, just some general observation. People kind of need to dial it back and remember we are all citizens here. We are neighbors. We're we're um, coworkers. You know, relax. Relax. Take it easy. Chill. Uh, are you worried that we can't dial it back at this point? And we've gone pretty far as far as it goes. Yeah, I, it's it's hard to say. It is really very polarized right now. But uh, we had a story just recently that our Washington Bureau reporter Jessica Warman did about like the staffs of Rob Portman and Sherrod Brown getting together to square off in their annual softball game. Okay. And you look at like Portman and Brown and they often issue joint press releases on things that they're working on mm-hmm. together where they, where they can find common ground they do. And I think that could be sort of a model of civility and, and working together. As far as Ohio goes, are we still important? I know now they're, they're considering us some... True swing state anymore? Swing state, yeah, anymore. I think Ohio is still a bellwether because we have like kind of the right mix of... It reflects the country overall in terms of demographics. We're we're a little bit older and we're a little bit less educated in general, I think. Ohio voted for Bill Clinton and then it voted for George W., then it voted for Obama, and then it went big for Trump, like eight points, eight and a half points. And so it seems like maybe... It's trending a little bit more red. Certainly, when you look at statewide politics, it is definitely in the control of the GOP. You got all these kind of crazy stories, not just your run of mill stuff. Where do you find most of your stories? Well, I think I have like a healthy dose of curiosity. So I'm always reading and looking around. And then, you know, people call me with good tips and stuff. And, um, and then sometimes it's just like, oh, that is, that's newsy. You got to get on that right away. You know, it was like a year and a half ago when that Casey Pidge guy mm-hmm. was a inmate in um, Lebanon and he had killed his his cellie. cellmate. Yeah, that was a great story. And then they took him to court wearing a straight jacket and all the rest of that. And when they put him on the prison transport bus, they stuck him in the way back with like all these other lower level inmates. And he slipped out of his, his chains and he strangled a man to death. 
So he, he actually killed three people because he was in jail for murder, right? Or was it murder? Uh, he murdered his ex-girlfriend's mother. Right. That was a really heinous crime, I think out of Ross County. And then Luther Wade, his celly in Lebanon, and then this guy from Franklin County. And did that just happen? Oh, and, then, and now he's suspected on like a really severe beating at uh, Lucasville Prison against a, a guard. And he's just like in a general population too, right? Is he, well, not anymore. Not now anymore, he's but, at the yeah. Supermax of Ohio Penitentiary. How'd you find that story? Did they just come have a press conference about this or no? Probably didn't, right? No, I mean... Because <laughs> it's probably... No, it's not something they're going to brag about. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we had, I think we had written about the Luther Wade one and then this prison bus one. I can't remember how I found out about it, but it was... Somebody tipped me off on it. Now, have you ever felt in fear of your life doing political report? Oh, you know, when we were at the um, Democratic National Convention in Philadelphia, we were housed in like this kind of like well-built tent and all the media and it was like right next to the arena and this huge storm came through and it started like flexing the whole tent and I thought oh maybe this is the end you know like we're gonna get crushed to death well and then one time I went and I did a story in the prison system about how Department of Corrections uses prison labor to train the train the inmates on job skills and then also provide goods and services that are needed within the prison system. Like in Marysville, they have an optometry shop, so they build the, the eyeglasses needed for all the inmates. In London, Ohio, they have a dental lab, so they build out dentures for yeah. inmates. Like, don't get the wrong idea. Inmates are not getting, like, cosmetic dentistry done. This is if you have meth mouth and you're missing, like, right. all your front teeth. Mm-hmm. You're going to get a row of dentures built by other inmates. Um, oh, that's it, interesting. It is interesting. It was really a fascinating story. And, and I, I also went to some of their farm operations, which they've since gotten rid of. But they had a dairy operation. Dairy, they ran a uh, slaughterhouse. So they would they would raise cows and then they would slaughter them. slaughter them and then train the inmates how to be butchers. The mm-hmm. knives and stuff were all tethered to the tables. But, you know, I'm like me and Chris Stewart, our photographer, was with us. And there's this older inmate, and he's kind of using a cattle prod to get this, get the cow into this chute. And then they um, put a chain around its hoof, and they hoist it up, and it's swinging back and forth. And there's a guy with this pneumatic gun who I'm standing right beside, and he's stunning the cow so that then they can go ahead and slaughter. I realize, like, this pneumatic gun is, like, super powerful. And I don't know if this guy is staff or if he's an in- inmate. Uh-huh. And at one point, and I said, I think his name was Clyde or something like that. And I said, hey, Clyde, um, are you an inmate or are you staff? <laughs> and he goes, oh, I'm staff, ma'am. They don't let the inmates have this, have pneumatic, guns. <laughs> this pneumatic gun. And I was like, oh, phew, you know. That's cool, though, that they, I mean, at least they were learning a skill, I guess, butchery. Yeah, I mean, you got Ohio's got like almost 50,000 inmates and most of them go home. Right, got to do something. getting them back into society and making sure that they don't return to prison is is really important and it's because it costs the taxpayers a lot and it costs the economy a lot can't get jobs and can't be productive members of society you've done like a bunch of stories you've been to death row stuff and executions and all yeah, that. i think i've been to about maybe half of the 27 26 or 27 different prisons that ohio has why, why is that something you think is important in our area there we have the dayton correctional and we have uh pr- two prisons in warren county and so they're housing thousands of inmates, and they and there's hundreds of jobs involved. So it's kind of like a local employer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a lot of issues uh, that come up about you know how the how the state um, treats its prison workers and inmates. Crime and punishment is and mass incarceration is a 
is a major issue for. Oh, I'm Ohio. sorry, I was talking about executions. You oh, you know, actually, I haven't. I have not witnessed any executions. It, as a member of the Ohio Legislative Correspondents Association, we have an Olka member present to witness each execution, and that is an assignment I've I've not wanted to take. I don't really want that memory tape playing through my head. Lynn so he I has think, been to some, right? Well, Lynn went to one in my place, and then it, it got called off. Okay. And Tom Byerline, who was one of our colleagues for a long time, he he took my place multiple times. But the state has, like I said, a, a state house press corps, media witness, somebody from the Associated Press, and then somebody from the paper of record in the area in which the crime was committed. And there's very strict protocol about witness duties. You're allowed to take in a, well, actually, I think DRC provides a paper and pencil, and there's no recording, and there's uh, by either DRC or electronic recording by the witnesses. And so sometimes it's pretty tricky to, you know, get the whole last statement down right. accurately. You have to go old school paper and pen, basically. Yeah. And then I think it is important that there be independent witnesses when the government is carrying out the ultimate penalty. So who is this Laura Bischoff? Who are you? Who am I? Who are you? I mean, people know you as like this ruthless, that's not right, <laughs> dictator of journalism. No, that's not right either. This, um, you know, serious journalist. What do you do? Who are you? You mean like, what do I do for fun? Yeah, what do you do for fun? What do you do? Well, I live in, I live in Worthington, Ohio, which is kind of a close-in suburb of Columbus, and uh, married for 25. 20- Six years now. And he is fine. He's a fine He's a very man. nice man. He loves you. And we have two boys who are college bound and making us proud. And what else do I do? I like to ride my bicycle and I like to run with my, a group of uh, girlfriends who we've been running together for 16 years. That's we, crazy. We meet early in the mornings. I think it's crazy because you actually run and then it's not away from strangers or a dog because you're actually running for fun. Yeah, we run very, very slowly, but we do <laughs> run. And then we, and we talk about like... We talk about vacations and social issues and kids and all that good stuff. Local issues, things like that. Why'd you want to be a journalist? Well, when I was like in junior high at St. Regis in Michigan, we had the St. Regis Bugle. It was like a little newsletter. I found out that you could like get out of class and run around school and ask nosy questions of powerful people. Yes. Which in this case were the nuns. <laughs> so I was like, wait, you can get paid to do that? That sounds So you're like, fun. Sister Carson, give me the answers. Well, and the thing is, like in, at the at St. Regis, my aunt had been a nun in that school. She left the year that I started in that school, but some of the nuns were like her buddies. So that was kind of funny. That is kind of funny. Did she remain a nun or did she get out of the whole church? No, she she was a nun for like uh, 50 plus years. She passed away a few years ago. And, you know, I tell kids that too, like the reason I want to be a journalist because I'm nosy, but there's actually got to be some other reason behind that that you wanted to do or, or is that it? Being nosy, but also like it's an incredibly gratifying job. There's enormous power and responsibility and opportunity and variety. Some days are kind of boring, but for the most part, you know, I'm paid every day to find out interesting things and tell tell our audience about it. What did your parents think about the idea of you becoming a journalist? Were they all proud, super proud of you or did they want you to be something else? My father was an engineer. I think he was a little bummed out. None of his eight kids became engineers. And my mom was a teacher and then a realtor. I think that there was a little bit of a concern by both my parents that like journalism wasn't super stable and it wasn't going to be paying enough money to make a living and just general anxieties that you might have about your kid wanting to make sure that your kid has has a good path career path we used to be a more of a boys network journalism used to be was it hard for you as a woman to sort of navigate your way to where you are now or did you kind of get lucky 
or I don't know if lucky's the word for it. I don't know. You know, it's interesting because it's if you look in the state house press corps, it's still predominantly guys. Okay. In the state house, we have a, a room for the Ohio Legislative Correspondents Association, and we have like class photos from every two years, going back to the 1800s. So you can slowly see the evolution of like a few more women, a few more women blazing a path in. And uh, women like Mary Ann Sharkey from the Cleveland area, she actually started out in Dayton. She was kind of a trailblazer. And Sandy Tice, another trailblazer. We have a group of women in the press corps. We try to get together for lunch or happy hours every now and then or baby showers or whatever's going on. How many women do you think there are now in the in the corps? Uh, mm, less than a dozen. Did you even attend to be a state house reporter? No, no. I went to University of Michigan. I was a poli sci major, but not because I like politics, but because I didn't really like. Once I got into it, I didn't really like the communications department there. I had enough credits in poli sci to still graduate on time, so I just switched my major to that. Hmm. And I worked on the Michigan Daily, which was a fantastic proof, like training ground. Really fun, interesting people who still are doing really fun and interesting things. Kind of wanted to be like a foreign war correspondent or something. Okay. You know? Flashy, Flash, that, yeah, flying all around the world. But and... no way did I have the guts to like move to Central America and just start freelancing, which is how a lot of foreign correspondents start out. Right. So I started out in Flint, Michigan instead. The Flint Journal hired me for their Lapeer County Bureau. And it took a while to like kind of from the bureau into the covering City Hall. And then I got Vince McKelvey hired me back in July of 1995 at, at Dayton to, to cover City Hall. And that was that was pretty fun. I worked also for Jim Dillon on the business desk for a few mm-hmm. years. And then, you know. Well, what did you do for business? Covered like IT businesses like LexisNexis and uh, others. And then and then the opening came up in the Columbus Bureau and, you know, I jumped at it. It seemed like a really interesting, interesting job. And you found that you kind of do, is that your favorite job then? Apparently it is. You've been yeah, I mean, so I've been doing it for like 17 years. Like there's a lot of, like, lot of people in the Statehouse Press Corps who've been around as long or longer. And Ohio is a great place to be a political reporter. I mean, there's a lot of money, there's a lot of big personalities, there's a lot of power at stake, and just a huge array of issues, you know? Like how much you pay in taxes. Right. How much is it going to cost your kid to go to college? Whether or not the school funding is going to be fair for your school district or you're going to have to pay more in property taxes. Crime and punishment issues. Just general community safety issues. Like how fast are you allowed to drive on the on the highways? And what's the drunken driving limit? And, mm-hmm. you know, who has to wear a seatbelt when and where? Okay, so the name of the show is What Had Happened Was. What Had Happened Was. Okay? So I want you to say what had happened was, and I want you to finish the sentence. About anything? Anything, yeah. Like the first thing that comes to your mind. <laughs> uh, that's so broad. You got it? <laughs> No. It's only the most important question that you'll be asked through the whole I'm like, show. I'm like, well, I mean, it's kind of like what had happened was Vince McKelvey hired me in 1995 at the Dayton Daily News, and I've had a heck of a fun run ever since. And I'd like to thank the politicians with their faults and foibles for providing so much uh, story fodder. There you go. So that was good. See, I saw you write that in your head, too. There you go. 
Where's this whole journalism thing going, do you think? Do you think we are still going to be doing our jobs and changing things and blah, blah, blah? Well, I think that good journalism is essential to a healthy democracy. People are consuming more news now than ever before. I mean, you got like a constant news feed right in your pocket with your smartphone. I think that people just need to realize they, they need to subscribe and support good journalism because we are in state houses, in city halls, we are at the school board. And we are doing, and we're honest brokers. We're trying to figure out what's important, what's going on, and give you the news day in and day out. And you're not going to get that from just whatever rant is coming across the Twitter feed. Preach, sister, preach. Amen. Well, hey, thanks a lot for coming in here. I really appreciate you coming on the What Happened Was podcast. It's super fun. And you said the word subscribe, and people can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google, <laughs> Stitcher, yeah, all that good stuff. Yeah, do it. Subscribe. Mm. Thank you, Laura. All right, thanks. I told you Laura was fabulous. You can, of course, find her work in the Dayton Daily News and on DaytonDailyNews.com. The What Had Happened Was podcast is brought to you by Dayton.com. It is produced by me, Amelia Robinson, in the WHIO Radio Studios. The show's artwork is by Troy Liming of TL Creates of Columbus. Until next time, bye bye and support local journalism and podcasts while you're at it.